This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. India's biggest initial public offer is finally here. An IPO has been filed for the LIC with the market regulator SEBI. The government is now to sell 5% shares in LIC. Now, India's biggest state-owned insurer, that's a life insurance corporation or LIC, in its prospectus filed with the market regulator or SEBI has said that the IPO offer will constitute 4.99% of the company's post-offer paid-up share capital. But really, this IPO is expected to be India's largest public issue and it's going to hit the capital market in March. It's a massive listing, one that has been two years in the planning. It values the state-run insurer at over 15 trillion rupees, making it India's biggest listed company to be by market capitalization, ahead of Mukesh Ambani's Reliance Industries. The share issue of the 65-year-old insurer, the world's fifth largest by premiums and tenth largest by assets, will give the government most of the money it wants to raise this year through sale of its assets. Also, Post-listing, the government will get more dividends than it ever has from LIC, thanks to a recent tweaking of rules on profit-sharing of the insurer, which we'll discuss later. This will part-fund the government's massive 7.5 trillion rupee investment plan to build more roads, airports, waterways, railway infrastructure, pay off Air India's debts, and lend to states. What's more? it can really expand capital market participation like never before. LIC, through its universal brand, can exactly do what Maruti Suzuki IPO did in 2003, expand the equity cult in the nook and corner of India. That's Nilesh Shah, Managing Director of Kotak Mahindra Asset Management Company, one of our guests. Here's a disclaimer. Kotak is one of the book-running lead managers for the LIC IPO. So yes, there's huge stakes riding on this one. Not for no reason is it called India's Aramco moment, a reference to the 2019 listing of the Saudi government-backed oil company which created the world's highest-valued firm. Now, LIC filed its initial IPO document, also called the Draft Red Herring Prospectus, on Monday. That document lays bare everything about the insurer, its finances, where it stands vis-a-vis its rivals, risks and projections, and the complex calculation of something called its embedded value. It has also raised questions about the impact of the pandemic on its business, how some of its rivals are stealing a march in terms of market share and other matrices. Experts are also questioning whether LIC's age-old ways of selling policies mainly through agents still works. In this episode, we touch upon all these points and delve into one question in particular. Will the shareholders of LIC gain at the cost of its policyholders? It's Thursday, the 17th of February. I'm your host, Anirban Chaudhary, and you're listening to LIC decoding India's biggest IPO on the morning brief. LIC was formed in 1956 after 25 private insurance companies, almost the same number as exists today, shut down after the Second World War. 
the Jawaharlal Nehru government wanted to protect the shrinking savings of the people of the country. It also wanted to give insurance coverage to the common people instead of a handful of rich individuals. LIC was formed with a seed capital of rupees 5 crore. It was the sole player in this space. It had a complete monopoly till 2000 after which the government allowed the entry of private insurance companies. But LIC's leadership remained intact. Today it controls over 64% of the premium market and has 283 million active policies. That's higher than the population of Indonesia or Brazil or Pakistan. It has an army of 1.3 million agents to sell those policies. It manages assets worth 37 trillion rupees, over 3 times the assets managed by all the other 24 private insurers and more than 16 times that of its closest rival SBI Life Insurance. Well, it's also higher than the GDPs of Thailand or Nigeria. But are we still buying LIC policies? Mother and my father-in-law have bought uh, two respective LIC policies for me and my son. So, LIC policies kind of feel like something that my dad would probably buy blindly because uh, that's how it worked. in his generation i have lot of uh, lic's policy to myself it has uh, honestly been very helpful to me lic policies are something that i don't quite agree with uh, because of its obvious shortcomings when i bought a cover i chose a private insurer for their easy digital processes and all i don't get mails and reminders timely and that's why i don't find it very reliable there's a certain degree of uh, reliability associated with lic Of course they are reliable. Of course there's no question about it. I think my whole family thinks LIC is very very reliable. Very reliable. They are reliable. It's the most reliable option. Okay. So let's now look at how reliable an investment it would be to participate in LIC's IPO. To invest in any company, it's important to understand its business structure and financials. And LIC's is particularly complex. for most who read and let's say the financial statements of LIC or not just LIC for any insurance company worldwide you know it's it's actually a black hole that's ashwin parekh a veteran management consultant and currently a managing partner at his own firm ashwin parekh advisory services llp ashwin in his former stints at deloitte and ey assisted the government in straightening out the complex assets and liability structure of LIC he has also advised the government on the insurer's investment portfolio ashwin told me that the LIC IPO reminds him of the china life insurance listing as well as that of japan post the entire financial strength of a life insurance company you know the evaluation parameters are very different compared to a normal manufacturing or a financial service organization such as a bank in case of a life company when you look at the quality of a portfolio you're looking at various dimensions of whether the selection or underwriting has been quality underwriting whether the selection process has been good whether the life which was sort of you know given a protection cover the quality of that life i mean the quality of that person the age at, at which the person is you know admitted into that program at the time when the contract between the life i mean the life insurance company and a policy holder is drawn those are various factors which influence the financial parameters of a life company 
and while basic this point is integral to the ongoing discussion confusion and debate on LIC's upcoming IPO the company's drhp throws at you various terms and concepts that you wouldn't find in other companies or even financial institutions like ashwin said the business risks of a life insurer are related to the age of its customer their health medical history and post covid comorbidities that calls for something called an actuarial assessment to estimate premiums reserves liabilities surpluses and the much talked about embedded value or ev what is it simply put ev is the current value of expected profits of an insurance company added to its current net asset value now there are several things that contribute to the ev ashwin tells me so let us understand that when a policy holder enters into a contract with any life company what he is really doing is he is actually surrendering his future cash flows if i enter into a 10 year contract with a life company i am agreeing to pay a premium and 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 it submit my cash flows whether quarterly or six monthly or annually is a matter of detail but i'm committing to that and the life company keeps on receiving that amount of premium for two things it provides me one is it provides me a certain order of return that component is called the savings component or the investment component of a policy and the other component is a protection now how does this protection work protection works on the basis of the past loss data of any life company if the life company finds that there are the mortality rate of a person at a certain age is higher compared to some other person then you'll agree with me that the protection liability on that life company is a little higher compared to let's say any other person who may not have that kind of a mortality rate he may be either younger or he may be in certain age group simply put if a 35 year old healthy man buys a life cover the liability of an insurer is much lower as compared to an 80 year old man as his life expectancy is lower and mortality risk higher that goes into the embedded value also naturally new business premiums in which lic has a 66.2% market share in the country also adds to the embedded value after all the probability of premium payments coming in from a new policy holder is much higher than an existing one who may surrender his policy sooner another important concept is the actuarial surplus so normally worldwide life insurance companies they evaluate the actuarial value of liability which means liability sitting in each and every contract so if i have a policy with life insurance company or corporation any one of the two that company will evaluate the liability that can arise when i mean when i purchase that liability with that the contract each year that passes you know after that the liability amount may vary depending on the mortality rates so the actuarial surplus is determined for for example the next year and the year after for example if it is determined each and every policy contract is evaluated in terms of the profile of the policy holder age you know in age group in, in which he is morbidity and other factors and then that liability is determined if the corporation finds or or if any life insurance company finds or the actuary of appointed actuary of that company finds that let's say the value of that liability is less than the value of the asset you know that uh, life insurance let's say company possesses 
then to that extent an actuarial surplus is said to be, otherwise it's called the actuarial deficit. So if an insurance company sells 50,000 policies and estimates 1,000 death claims in the first year, but actually gets only 900 in that year, that creates a surplus. Why am I explaining this? First, because the actual market valuation of the insurer, in this case LIC, comes in by most calculations at about 2 or 2.5x of the EV. So, if you're planning to participate in the IPO, it is a critical number for you. Secondly, and more importantly, for an insurer, the surplus and deficit is its profit and loss. And until recently, about 95% of these profits went to policyholders. Why do I say until recently? So, despite a rule that allowed LIC shareholder, the government, to take 10% of the surplus, it only took 5% and the rest was given to policyholders. After the IPO, from 2025, the policyholders will get 90% of the surplus while the shareholders, that's the government and now those who invest in the IPO, will get 10%. What's more, Earlier, the LIC used to keep the 95% surplus in a single fund, which was distributed as dividends to its participating policy holders. Basically, those who invest in its risk-laden instruments, like ULIPs. Now, the surplus will be divided into two funds after an amendment last September. One fund will include the surplus from the participating policies and another will include the surplus from non-participating policies. Now, participating policyholders will have access to the 90% surplus only in their fund. The surplus in the non-participating policyholders fund will now go to the shareholders. In fact, this change is also what is said to have led to a five-time increase in the embedded value of LIC in the last six months to 5.39 trillion rupees. Whew. Complex? Okay, in a nutshell, if you are a participating policy holder in LIC, that is, if you've invested in something like a ULIP, you get a lower percentage of its profits from 2025 from a smaller pie. What's the hack? Participate in the IPO and become a shareholder which is what the government is trying to encourage policyholders to do by giving heavy discounts. I asked Nilesh and Ashwin if all of this is fair. Do you think, as many say, this is a sort of a breach of trust who've been paying premiums in the hope of getting 95% of the surplus? It seems in layman's language that not only does their share come down, the pie also comes down because it's now divided between participatory and non-par policyholders. If you look at the global example, this is how new mutualization has been done. And this is in line with what private players are doing. This is in line with what insurance regulations are. So in the past, LIC was more benevolent to policyholders. Now it is doing a step-by-step -step increase in demutualization. So I don't think so. It is against the regulation. If the shareholders, that is the government, so decides, to change that from 95% to 90%, in which case the policyholders may end up getting a little less and the shareholders will get a little more. But I must say, in any case, the regulations do permit the shareholder 
the reduction to the policyholders may not be very large. And the second most important part is let's not forget, not everything sort of out of the life fund or after the total earnings of, let's say, income of, of the corporation or any other life company is normally distributed to the policyholders. You know, some amount is kept back by way of reservation. That takes the financial strength of that organization. And uh, the more the business it writes in the future years, the more the contribution to A embedded value and therefore the market listed price and B is so I mean it's 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 fair to evaluate that between policyholders and reserves. I mean if reserves are continued to be built up, which the government agreed to do over so many years, then I suppose to that extent the policyholders will also sort of you know benefit because at the end of it it's not just sort of you know how much you're getting out of the whole evaluation. But what is important is whether your life company is growing or otherwise. If it is growing, then the embedded value keeps on rising. If it keeps on rising, then the policy holders fund keeps on rising. The value of the or the actual surplus will keep on rising. Okay, fine. Let's now go back to the so-called market dominance of LIC. Well, in the last two years, the insurer has been slowing down. For example, it sold 52.54 million policies in FY21, which was 15% lower than the last year, which was again an 18% drop compared to the year before. On the other hand, death claims in FY21 rose 36% to about 24,000 crore rupees. It had to in fact make separate mortality reserves during the pandemic. Its persistence ratio which basically reflects how many consumers renewed its policies, fell. Its new business premium, which, like I said, is a big contributor to the embedded value, grew at a slower rate than its peers. It also lagged its peers in terms of claim-to-settlement ratio, which is how fast you settle claims. Nilesh again comes to LIC's defense. What is happening to LIC is not different from what is happening to insurance players around the world. Has their settlement ratio gone up, claim ratio gone up? Uh, Absolutely, yes. But when you service people at the time of their need, that's how your brand is built. For last 70 years plus, LIC has been servicing Indians in their despair. And this pandemic is no different. I think... The services provided by insurance industry, whether it's life, general or health during this pandemic time, will create their brand and will create their image among the policyholders. People who have serviced their policyholders well will benefit in the long term, even though in the short term they have taken some hit. Also, LIC depends on its sales force to sell its policies. In the first six months of this fiscal year, its number of active agents reduced from 11 lakh to 9 lakh. The biggest concern actually is LIC's archaic processes, mostly manual, very little digital. Last year, LIC collected only 36% of renewal premiums digitally. That number for its rivals was over 90%. I asked Ashwin. Do you think its popularity will wane in the coming years if it doesn't digitize itself or get with the times soon? Do you think that will impact its market value and also its value for the shareholder? Yes, it certainly will, Anirban. See, if I look at, let's say, let's look at 
the technology to begin with. And let's understand the technology of the digital insurance. See, unlike in case of, let's say, banking or unlike in case of NBFCs, in case of life insurance corporation, I mean, basically, let's start with the premise that it's a push product. You know, it has to be pushed. And the pushing happens through the distribution channels. Now, distribution channels, life insurance corporation, perhaps have over the years, has depended on agency network as, as the major distribution kind of channel. The, the, the other life insurance companies may not have. Then the other life insurance companies, the private life insurance companies have a huge advantage because they already have very large distribution partners. So if I take examples of, let's say, bank-promoted life insurance companies such as uh, Estate Bank of India or HDFC Life or, or SESA approved for that matter, See, these organizations basically have a larger presence of technology on an end-to-end basis because they are important distribution channels on one side and they are manufacturers of life companies in their subsidiaries. You know, So to that extent, I mean, I would say digital insurance has to be looked at in a larger, in a holistic concept. It's not just whether the corporation is technology, I mean, you know, has really adopted a certain order of technology or not. But the question is, how much of its sort of last mile is also digitalized? Of course, earlier this month, LIC tied up with aggregator Policy Bazaar to sell its products. But Ashwin said this will have little impact. Those aggregators may have excellent technology. They may have excellent call centers and, you know, they may do a 24 by 7 job. But the conversion doesn't happen. I mean, it's just that the first level of contact happens at the aggregator level. When it comes to buying, it has been realized. I mean, if you look at any one of those aggregators, not just Policy Bazaar, the difference between people who visit the site and those who actually buy a life, let's say, contract, the number is very small. It's, it's actually a small fraction and not even a percentage. Now, in that regard, therefore, relying on someone else's digital platform to cover your last mile can only reach you that far. So, to my mind, I mean, I would say, particularly in the context of COVID, when uh, people were working from home now still continue to work from home in many places, you know, so therefore the customers are also away from the, the agents to the extent that the agents cannot make physical contact with the customers. You know, in those kind of, in that kind of an environment, and I mean, one has to believe that such an environment may continue now for longer. To that extent, I mean, I would say Life Insurance Corporation has a much larger challenge on its head a much bigger challenge. Lastly, what about LIC's investment portfolio? Time and again, the government has run to it to bail out sick companies. The latest example was IDBI, in which LIC purchased 51% in various tranches till January 2019. Surely, such investments aren't great for shareholders. Surely, the insurer will have to be more accountable. I would certainly say that in the first instance itself, you know, it should have happened. But okay, we are not talking about that any longer. We're talking about sort of, you know, uh, the continuation of that. It will certainly draw more public attention. The policyholders were not, they were passive. I mean, they were not active. They wouldn't have asked LIC why they made certain set of investments. But now with shareholders, and particularly institutional shareholders, there will be increasing amount of that, discussion, sort of, you know, I'm certainly calling it as a discussion. And to that extent, you know, the government 
or the shareholder will have to really come out with sort of clear justification or clear, I mean, explanation why it's doing so. I mean, if not at public forum, certainly with these investors, you know, and I would rather that they do it at, at public forum because then it will really settle everyone's sort of, you know, uh, sort of concern about why such investment decisions were being made or are being made. I mean, media will certainly have those questions. Shareholders will have those questions, you know. And then if you are looking at foreign shareholders, I mean, foreign institutional investors and other funds, pension funds included, to invest in equity of life insurance corporation, then certainly they will have sort of questions on, on, on. I mean, I still not, I'm not still forgetting the kind of debate that a couple of funds which had invested in Coal India had got into on the governance aspects of Coal India. So, I mean, you come across these in a healthy way, sort of, you know. The debate will open up and um, Life Insurance Corporation will have to gear itself up for that. So when I was young and when markets used to fall, we always used to hear that government is telling LIC to buy in the market. When markets corrected, LIC bought aggressively. Now this counter-cyclical investment strategy for LIC has worked wonders. In a falling market, they have always bought and provided support. In a rising market, they have booked profit. If I look at their equity portfolio, it's virtually who's who of India Inc. over there. So as a market participants, I have observed LIC's counter-cyclical strategy working out well. Now, can the counter-cyclical strategy be played on stocks? Answer is undoubtedly yes. However, you will require time horizon to play it out. There are blue chip stocks which LIC accumulated. Uh, today, IT stocks are doing very well. But just two, three years back, IT stocks were not the flavor of the town. And LIC kept on accumulating leading IT stocks. Now, it didn't work well for probably a year or two. But today, on those portfolio, they have made handsome return. So I think LIC by nature has long-term liabilities. Insurance monies are not for short-term. They can deploy that in the equity market in a counter-cyclical way, whether it's counter-cyclical market or whether it is counter-cyclical stocks. Time will tell whether they'll make money or not. And by far, they have made decent amount of profit on equities. In all probability, LIC's IPO, unlike a Paytm, will live up to the hype and be a blockbuster share issue. The record number of DMAT account creations over the last several months means the market will expand and many will take from the bounty of the insurance behemoth. But questions on its valuation, its distribution of profits, its investment portfolio, and its redundant ways of doing business remain. Most importantly, as LIC becomes India's biggest listed company, it should not leave in the lurch the humble policyholder who has made it the giant that it is. That's it for today. You are listening to LIC decoding India's biggest IPO on the morning brief. This episode was produced by my colleague Nehal Chaliawala and Varun Kapahi from Awaz.com. Sound editor. Sondarya Jayachandran from Avas.com Executive Producer Arjeet Barman Do write to us at the morning brief at timesgroup.com 
The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you and have a good day. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are given in the description.